if it becomes okay for states to say whether or not a woman must carry her pregnancy to term, whether she wants to or not, whether it threatens her life or not, then it doesn't seem at all far-fetched for the court to say it's okay for states to regulate other very personal decisions concerning one's bodily integrity. And that could be who you have sex with, whether you request transition surgery or use PrEP or use a condom. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Putin's Ukraine attack may use anti-queer hit squads. India's medical commission calls for prosecution of conversion therapists. And will the U.S. top court row away queer rights? All that and more this week, now that you've chosen This Way Out. I'm Elena Botkin-Levy. And I'm Michael LeBeau. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending February 26, 2022. Russian tanks are rolling in and many queer Ukrainians are fleeing the capital, Kyiv, and other major cities. Others are vowing to stay and fight. Even though LGBTQ people are not generally well-treated by their fellow Ukrainians, queer life in Vladimir Putin's Russia is far worse. Olina Shevchenko of the LGBTQ rights group Insight told Reuters, It will not be possible for LGBTQ people to stay, especially if it is a long occupation. Timur Lervchuk has already left the capital. The co-founder of the LGBTQ rights organization Fulcrum made it with his family to the western city of Lviv, near the Polish border, early on February 25th. He said, LGBTQ people felt unsafe before, but now they have a much higher level of feeling unsafe. Andrei Kravchuk of Ukraine's LGBTQ Nashmir Center said by email that he and his partner were also thinking of leaving Kiev. He wrote, My boyfriend and I already have the experience of living under shelling, and we know what will happen next. It is difficult to withstand constant tension and listen to every sound outside the window. Kyiv Pride is looking to the world for support. The group defied the Russian invasion on Twitter, saying, We remain strong. We are not intimidated. Putin lives in the past. From nearby Georgia, Tbilisi Pride tweeted, We stand with the brave people of Ukraine. Street demonstrations are protesting the Russian invasion of Ukraine in many Western nations, even in Russia itself. Putin's propaganda pal, Donald Trump, remains one of his only supporters, and some observers are starting to compare the Russian dictator's mental state to that of the delusional former U.S. president. Putin claims that his goal is the denazification of Ukraine, but Nazis are clearly not who he's after. First on his list is the democratically elected president, Volodymyr Zelensky, a Jew whose relatives were killed during the Holocaust. An anonymous U.S. State Department official told Foreign Policy that Russian hit squads could be targeting political opponents and members of other vulnerable groups if Putin succeeds in setting up a pro-Kremlin puppet regime in Ukraine. An unnamed Biden administration official says that the United States has been in contact with LGBTQ Ukrainians and others in the crosshairs. They told the Washington Blade, 
We have engaged directly with these populations to direct them to programs that offer emergency assistance to address relocation, medical expenses, or other unexpected costs. And we have engaged with allies and partners to try to ensure that those who must flee Ukraine have somewhere to go. When queer men started fleeing the anti-queer pogrom in the Russian region of Chechnya, the Canada-based organization Rainbow Railroad became known for helping the refugees to safety. Their February 24th media statement said that they are concerned about the impact this conflict will have on Ukraine's LGBTQI plus community. We are preparing, in consultation with our partners, possible ways we can help people at risk in the region. On the same day that the first Western sanctions were imposed on Russia for invading Ukraine, two queer siblings were sentenced to lengthy prison terms in a Chechen court. According to Amnesty International, one is gay and the other is trans. They were convicted on charges that include breach of the country's security laws, providing food to a Chechen militant, and complicity with illegal armed formations, charges human rights activists deny. 21-year-old Selek Magamodov was sentenced to eight years in prison. 19-year-old Ismail Isayev got six years. They were moderators of a youth-led telegram channel that contained posts critical of the Chechen regime. The prosecution relied on forced apology videos that the siblings made after reported physical abuse. Selek and Ismail first came to the attention of Chechen authorities in 2019 when an officer found an LGBTQ pride flag on Ismail's mobile phone. The siblings have been in and out of jail ever since. Their attempt to flee the country was thwarted in February 2021 when their Moscow safe house was leaked and security agents returned them to Chechnya. The Russian LGBTQ network's North Caucus SOS represented the siblings in court. Their press release says simply, Today's verdict of the Chechen court is a crime against common sense. India's National Medical Commission is joining the growing international movement against conversion therapy. The commission told the Madras High Court this week that practitioners should be prosecuted for professional misconduct. Conversion therapies claims that a combination of counseling and prayer can guide LGBTQ people back onto the straight and narrow have been utterly discredited. The commission's declaration came as a result of a lesbian couple seeking protection from repeated police harassment against them and their supportive parents. The court hearing was adjourned to April 8th for reporting compliance. A queer activist in Mexico is the owner of the country's first birth certificate with a non-binary gender marker. Fausto Martinez petitioned the National Electoral Institute in September to list their gender as NB on all official documents. A judge ruled for Martinez in late January in what is known as an amparo in the Mexican judicial system. The Guanajuato Civil Registry issued them a new non-binary birth certificate on February 11th. Martinez said in a tweet after they received their new birth certificate, I have always said, what is not named does not exist. Mexico's Foreign Affairs Ministry announced in January that transgender people who were born in the country could get an amended birth certificate at any Mexican consulate. Activist Mateo de la Torre received his at the Mexican consulate in Washington, D.C., after the new policy took effect. He told the Washington Blade, This birth certificate comes after a decade of living in my truth as a transgender man and after years of advocating for my right to be recognized as such. 
In a related report from the Spanish news outlet Agencia EFESA, El Salvador's Constitutional Chamber of the Supreme Court of Justice ordered Congress this week to change laws to allow a simple change of name based on gender identity on all legal documents. Finally, Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay bill, passed by a vote of 69 to 47 in the State House on February 24th, mostly along party lines. It now returns to the Senate, edging closer to the supportive signature of spotlight-seeking racist and anti-queer Governor Ron DeSantis. Amid a flurry of anti-queer measures infecting Republican-controlled U.S. states, Don't Say Gay has received the most attention. It would prohibit schools from encouraging classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity through the third grade or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. The definition of encouraging is unclear, and critics worry that other language in the measure threatens to impact classroom discussion in all grades. After widespread condemnation, the bill's House sponsor, Jim Harding, withdrew an amendment to require school officials to out LGBTQ kids to their parents. The bill is backed by arguments of religious freedom, the supremacy of parental authority, and above all, safety. But for whom? The founder and executive director of the Christian Family Coalition of Florida, Anthony Verdugo, told Miami's WTVJ, The primary goal is to keep children safe. And when children go to school, they're supposed to learn reading, writing, arithmetic. They're not supposed to be indoctrinated into ideology. These conversations need to be had in the home with family members. Good luck with being safe if your dad is Anthony Verdugo. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending February 26, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Michael LeBeau. Stay healthy. And I'm Elena Botkin-Levy. Stay safe. Here's pardoned presidential conman Steve Bannon and mercenary maven Eric Prince explaining why it's right for the right to love Putin's Russia. Putin ain't woke. He is anti-woke. The Russians, people still know which bathroom to use. They know how many, how many genders are there in Russia? Two. Okay. That's all of a sudden, that's, that's, that's not, that's not, they don't have the flags. They don't have the pride flags outside on their, on their. They don't have boys swimming in girls' Uh, college swim meets. How backward. It's, it's how, how, embarrassing. How, how savage. How medieval. How, how medieval. This is why this whole thing's a scam. It's a total and complete scam. Think about this. Obergefell, which is the decision that said states could not ban marriage licenses for same-sex couples, that's been with us for six years. And Lawrence versus Texas which said states couldn't ban people from choosing to have sex with someone of the same gender. That was 18 years ago. So it is worrisome that if they strike down these very longstanding landmark decisions on abortions, that I think it's going to make us feel extremely vulnerable.
A veteran journalist talks about the queer implications of the U.S. Supreme Court's consideration of reproductive rights after a brief word about our sponsors. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Thank you. Some give a little each month, some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. right to choose and the same-gender couple's right to marry are settled law in the U.S., right? Not so fast. Christopher Beal got some expert analysis on the San Francisco-based radio show Out in the Bay from a lesbian reporter with decades of experience covering national issues and the high court. The Honorable, the Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oye, oye, oye. All persons having business before the Honorable, the Supreme Court of the United States, are admonished to draw near and give their attention, for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. It seems like it's been quite a few years since those of us in the LGBTQIA community had to hear news stories about our very rights being debated in the U.S. Supreme Court. Same with women's rights. That is until... We will hear argument this morning in case 19-1392, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. This past December, the justices heard arguments over a new Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey haunt our country, and 50 years on, they stand alone. Nowhere else does this court recognize a right to end a human life. Many legal observers who were there in person believe the court's conservative majority could undercut Roe v. Wade and Casey v. Planned Parenthood. Those are the 1973 and 1992 decisions that have, up until now, upheld the right of women to have an abortion. Could that right go away in the wake of a Supreme Court decision? And how does all of this affect the rest of the LGBTQIA community? Joining us with expert analysis is national politics and legal affairs correspondent for the Bay Area Reporter, Lisa Keen. There are two cases that the legal activists are keeping their eyes on right now. That Both of them have already been argued, and they involve attempts to ban abortion in Mississippi and Texas, state laws to ban abortion. And many legal commentators concluded after those oral arguments that they think the court is actually looking at overturning Roe versus Wade. And uh, they think that might actually make it possible for states to begin banning abortions significantly, not just very late term abortions, but but abortions after as early as six weeks, which would really eliminate most abortions. You know, the consequences go beyond just abortion for, for many, many reasons. We're 50 years after Roe v. Wade made abortion legal nationwide. Why do you think 50 years later abortion is back in the spotlight? 
things have changed primarily because the court has changed. We've had conservative courts before, but this is the first time that we've had like a 6-3 conservative court, making it much more possible that the support for seriously undermining Roe versus Wade to take place, for there to be a realistic chance of it to take place. The 6-3 really came about just before the election in 2020 when Trump appointed Amy Coney Barrett to the bench. She made number six, which really just gave a lopsided strength to the conservatives on the court. So I think that's why things have really picked up. But I mean, anti-abortion activists have always been trying to overturn Roe versus Wade. When are we expecting a decision on this? Do you know? Typically, the court issues its decisions on really controversial issues at the very last days of the session, which are at the end of June. So because this is a complicated and controversial issue, in fact, because these are very complicated and very controversial issues, end of June, and then the court leaves town and tries to avoid listening to the harangue. Obviously, abortion is an important issue for women, but I I wonder, should all LGBTQIA people be watching these decisions on abortion? If it becomes okay for states to say whether or not a woman must carry her pregnancy to term, whether she wants to or not, whether it threatens her life or not, if we say if it's okay for states to ban that, then it doesn't seem at all far-fetched for the court to say, well, it's okay for states to regulate other very personal decisions concerning one's bodily integrity. And that could be who you have sex with, whether you choose to have your uterus or breasts removed, uh, whether you request transition surgery or use PrEP or use the condoms. I mean, let's face it, forcing a woman to carry a pregnancy to term is a very dramatic and serious invasion of a woman's right to privacy and bodily integrity. If we're going to say it's okay for states to do that, I don't see it as much of a stretch at all to allow states then to start banning other activities which are equally private and involve our personal bodily integrity. If the courts start undermining these long-standing precedents, Roe's been with us for 50 years, Planned Parenthood versus Casey has been with us for 30 years. Think about this. Obergefell, which is the decision that said states could not ban marriage licenses for same-sex couples, that's been with us for six years. Not 50, not 30, six. Uh, U.S. versus Windsor, which struck down DOMA, was just eight years ago. And Lawrence versus Texas which said states couldn't ban people from choosing to have sex with someone of the same gender. That was 18 years ago. So it is worrisome that if they strike down these very longstanding landmark decisions on abortions, that I think it's going to make us feel extremely vulnerable for what they might go back and try to do concerning LGBT-related decisions. Let me just say this quickly. I can't foresee a case that's going to come along and undermine the right for same-sex couples to marry. However, I do believe that what will happen is that a lot of entities that 
declare themselves to have religious beliefs against same-sex marriage will find all kinds of contexts in which to say, well, we shouldn't have to recognize this marriage in our venue, you know, sort of like the Catholic Social Services Agency did in Philadelphia. They said because of their religious beliefs, they would not entertain the idea of placing a a foster child with a same-sex couple. So I think we'll just get inundated with those kinds of cases where entities are going to try to carve out exceptions. That's not good for us because I think uh, same-sex couples would like to be treated like everybody else and feel like that their marriages are respected in all aspects of society. And I think also that the public's confidence in the court is likely to change dramatically because I think if there's a big loss here, public opinion is going to be, well, that happened because you've got all those conservatives on the court. You know, like I said, with Amy Coney Barrett being number six, making this kind of super majority over here, I think it's going to undermine everybody's confidence that the court can rule on constitutional issues in a neutral and fair way. It's going to be seen as highly politicized, but it's like the importance of precedent. The reason precedent is important is because it gives the public a sense that you've got this neutral body that is going to rule fairly on what the law is and not be playing politics with every decision that comes down the pike. Because if the court becomes political, if the court's seen as political, people are simply just going to expect that, you know, in uh, another 20 years, then we'll have a different composition on the court and the law will change back. That's not a good thing for law. Law needs to be stable. Hi, I'm Cleve Jones, and you are listening to This Way Out, the international LGBT radio magazine. An informed community is a strong community. There's a few other issues headed to the court as well, aren't there? Like, uh, like trying to restrict gay books and libraries? Right. We're seeing a lot of things uh, percolating on efforts to once again ban gay books from libraries, ban them from schools, uh, again, based on religious re- reasons. I think there's there's been the continuing efforts to try to ban the use of bathrooms and locker rooms by students who are transitioning. There's even attempts by teachers, in some cases, refusing to address a student by the student's preferred pronoun or name, uh, saying that their religious beliefs uh, require that they refuse to respect the student in that way. And uh, of course, there's cases that are already in the pipeline challenging the right of trans women to participate in women's sports competitions. Uh, I think all of these are are headed for the Supreme Court. It's just a matter of what time they'll end there, but they're all going to be really important cases once they get there. What can we do at this stage as citizens to affect this? This isn't a short-term battle. To try to 
establish equal rights for LGBT people, it's a lifelong battle. It always will be, I think, just like it is for African-Americans and others. I think what we can do as individuals are to give financial support to our legal organizations that are fighting very hard and working very long hours and strategizing in really important ways for how to preserve the rights we have and to even achieve new protections in many arenas. And the battlefronts are so many and so varied. They really need as much support as they can. Uh, I think we can also, as individuals, stage protests. I remember back in 1986, after the Bowers v. Hardwick decision, which was the decision that said states could ban people from having sex with someone of the same gender in the privacy of their home, that caused a huge explosion of protest on the front steps of the Supreme Court. And my sense was that the court was very moved by that. And so was public opinion. And so was the attention of members of Congress. I think those protests help. I really do. I think because they show visibly, hey, we're here and we don't like this and we're citizens too and we deserve our rights. Sometimes we have to clamor for our rights. Following that decision, gay people didn't go away. I think if anything, more and more and more LGBT people came out and they came out in droves because they had to protect their rights. They had to stand up for themselves. And of course, with the AIDS crisis occurring, it was a matter of life and death too. They really had to fight for their lives as well. So I just don't see all of a sudden the courage and fortitude of millions of LGBT people suddenly evaporating. I think many people might be weary of the battle, but nobody's nobody's giving in on this. I think we're going to hang in there and uh, and hopefully justice will prevail. Lisa, how can people keep in touch with you and your reporting? Well, in San Francisco, I'm, my legal coverage is carried by the Bay Area Reporter, and I'm, I'm in uh, gay newspapers in other cities around the country. And you can also see my reporting at keennewsservice.com. Those were highlights from Christopher Beale's discussion about the High Court with veteran reporter and legal analyst Lisa Keene on the San Francisco-based radio show Out in the Bay, outinthebay.org. While it won't change the liberal-conservative imbalance on the Supreme Court, President Joe Biden's nomination of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson is historic. Brown will be the court's first African-American woman justice if she's confirmed by the Senate. Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. 
Some program material this week came from Elena Bacalini and Michael LeBeau, produced by Brian Gersaser, and from Christopher Beale. The Fix and the Bee Gees performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This layout thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, a request from Christopher David Trentum, and donors Judd Proctor and Brian Burns, and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappelle and all of us at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on WXIR Rochester, New York, 2BAY Byron Bay, New South Wales, KXSU Seattle, Washington, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.